Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. So Acts 9, 10 to 22, we're going to look at Saul's new calling. And last week we looked at Saul's radical conversion. And I just want to start, if you weren't here last week, let's put that slide up of this 17th century painting that portrays Saul's radical conversion. Can you find that for me? Should be, there it is. And you can see, let your eyes settle for a minute. And you see Saul, also known as Paul, laying on his back there at the lower center. And you see Jesus overhead. He's appeared to him. And so we looked at Acts 9, 1 to 9, Saul's conversion. He was persecuting Christians. He encountered Christ, appeared to him, and rearranged his life in a matter of moments right there. And this is where the saying comes from, getting knocked off your horse. Saul was approaching Damascus and got knocked off his horse by the resurrected Jesus. And the glory of God in the face of Jesus went into his heart, his dark heart, and changed him forever. And it was a pretty awesome passage to look at, wasn't it? Acts 9, 1 to 9. And the Lord took the least likely person, the person who was furthest from Christ, who persecuted and hunted down and was like a wild boar. Remember the language that said he was ravaging the church. And Jesus said, I want him. I'm going to reveal myself to him. And I'm going to connect him to the very church that he's persecuting. And I'm going to fill him with my spirit. And he's going to become a missionary to the Gentiles all over the world. He's going to, I'm going to use him to change history. So what we're looking at now in verses 10 through 22 is the implications of Saul's radical conversion. And it was radical. By that we mean down to the deepest parts of who he was, to the core of who he was, to his essence. When he encountered Jesus, he was transformed. And so now we're going to see Saul's calling that flows out of this face-to-face encounter with the resurrected, glorious Jesus. And we're going to see the passage. I'm going to read it here shortly. We're going to see that it unfolds in five parts. And at each turn, we're just going to see the aftermath or the ripple effects from this event right here. And again, for those of you that weren't here, Saul is the Hebrew or Aramaic name for Paul, and his Greek name is Paul. So I'll use those interchangeably, but I'm really trying to just be faithful to the text. The text is calling him Saul. And if you remember, we read last week, how did Jesus address him? Saul. And he said it how many times? Twice. It was endearing, you know? It was like the Lord appearing to Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. Or when Jesus appeared 
to Mary. He said, Mary, Mary. He spoke to Martha, Martha, Martha. So we're going to call him Saul, and I will occasionally call him Paul. So Lord, as we read this passage, first of all, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Holy Scripture. Thank you for every word. And we pray that it would be like a fire in our hearts and like a hammer that shatters rocks. Set us ablaze with the fire of truth today. And we thank you for your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. So again, we encourage you to bring your own Bible, your physical Bible, each Sunday so you can have it and take notes and get more and more familiar with it. And if you need a study Bible, you can talk to me. I'll get you a study Bible. And then our resource center just out here on the right wall there, we have study Bibles. We have NRSV, NIV, and ESV. All right, so Acts 9, 10 to 22. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked his name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. Friends, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God for, for your word. So this is unfolding in five parts, and the first is found in verses 10 through 12. It's the Lord speaking to Ananias. He was a disciple, this Ananias figure, one of the leaders of the church in Damascus, and a target of Saul. And the Lord spoke to him. How did he speak to him? Verses 10 and following, he spoke in a vision. 
And we can see in this passage, but then all the way through the book of Acts, the Lord speaking to his people through visions. We saw it in Acts 2.17. You remember the apostle Peter talked about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and young men would see visions and old men would dream dreams. So it's an activity that the Holy Spirit brings in this new era of the Spirit a Pentecostal church, a church of Pentecost filled with the Spirit. And then we have in chapter 9 a couple of visions happening, and then we have it again in chapter 10. Then we have it again in chapter 16 when Paul is called to Macedonia. All of these things are happening through visions. And a vision, we could talk about that at length, but it's comparable to a dream while you're awake. So, Lord, giving an, an image to the screen of your mind, and we talk about it all the time. We believe in visions, don't we? You believe in visions? And what's the first thing that we always say about a vision or a word from the Lord? The first question we ask, remember B-E-A-N, what is it? Is it biblical? So if the Lord gives us a vision, the Lord gives us something to guide us, our first question is, is this in line with the teaching of Scripture? Does this reinforce the truths of the Bible? And I bet you anything that as Ananias was having this vision that his mind was going to different Old Testament passages and he was relating what was happening to that. So the Lord's speaking through this vision. He calls him by name, just like he did with Saul, right? And interestingly, his name means God has been gracious. And so even the text is saying through the words of Jesus to this man, God has been gracious. He's been gracious in saving Saul. And he responds just as Isaiah did in Isaiah 6, 8. Here I am, Lord. But We'll see this in a minute. It wasn't that straightforward. He's got some questions for the Lord, even in a vision. He's going to say, Lord, I'm struggling here, but we'll get to that in a, a moment. Look at what the text says. The Lord says to him, once he responds, get up and go. Get up and go. And I just wonder how many of us hear the Lord say that to us in our visions in our, the Lord speaking to us from the scriptures, get up and go. And I wonder what that will do for us and to us and through us in the coming days as we hear Jesus tell us it's time to get up and go. Go where I'm leading you and directing you. I've got people that I want to touch today, people that you're going to bring the gospel to, people that you might get the opportunity to pray for, and I want to bring my spirit into their lives, that situation. Where does he go? Verse 11, the middle of it there. He goes to a street called Straight, to the house of Judas. It's not the, obviously, Judas Iscariot. It was a common name at that time. And look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. I put a picture up here, a modern day picture of this street called Straight. And that was a, a Roman archway that enter, as you enter into this street called Straight, that would run east and west all the way through the city of Damascus, still there. And then the next slide here, you can see that's it. So this street 
kind of a colonnade with houses and shops all along here. And you can imagine Ananias was sent to this street to look for a particular house. The Lord was guiding him, directing him, and he had a divine appointment with this person named Saul. Look at the text here. This is kind of funny at the end of verse 11. What does the Lord tell Ananias that Saul is doing? Look at it. What's Saul doing? He's praying. It's good to know. And it was really good for Ananias to know that. Because Ananias is hearing, go meet with a fire-breathing, persecutor, Christ-hating person named Saul. And Ananias is going, uh, are you sure? Is he in his right frame of mind? What are you thinking, Lord? And he says, he's praying. So he's letting him know, I'm already at work in him. He is listening to me. I have a hold of him, and I'm communing with him. So I'm preparing him for your visit. He needed to know that. And what's beautiful about this is the Lord is directing all of it, isn't he? Look at verse 12. He's telling him, this is the Lord Jesus speaking to Ananias, and he is telling him, I have also spoken to Saul. While he's in prayer, I'm speaking to him. So we have this kind of dual vision that's happening. One to Ananias and one to Saul. And the Lord Jesus, the Lord of the church, is directing the whole thing, arranging all of this. And friends, do you believe he still does this today? Yeah, we definitely do not believe those cessationist arguments that somewhere along the way, Jesus got laryngitis. God got laryngitis and quit speaking and directing. We believe that the Lord is directly involved in our lives, in your lives, on your campus, in your workplace, in your car as you make your way through your day. The Lord Jesus wants to be speaking and guiding and directing all of us. Amen? So look at verse 13. This is the second thing that's happening in this passage about Saul's new calling, the beginning of verse 13. Ananias answers, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. It's not a really faithful response, is it? It's not a direct, uh, no sir, right? Jesus is speaking to him, and so he knows to not say no sir, but he is scratching his head, holding his hands up, saying, Lord, are you sure this dude is evil? He is filled with rage. And I've heard how much evil he's done to your saints, your people in Jerusalem. And then he adds, look at verse 14. He has authority. He's authorized to arrest us. Are you sure this is the right man? So he's responding nervously. I think it's a beautiful thing in Scripture. It's very human. His response, much like ours at different times, is, Lord, this is tough to hear. But nonetheless, he is willing. Look at what he says there. He refers to Christians in a certain way, doesn't he? It's the first time that Christians are called this word. What is it at the end of verse 13? Saints, pretty important word for us, this local church, right? This is the first time in the book of Acts 
that Christians are called saints. And we could also be called all saints and sinners, church, couldn't we? So it doesn't mean that we're all walking in absolute perfect holiness and we all have our halos, except for a few of us, maybe Colt. Colt, you got a halo most of the time? No, he's saying no. So we are saints, and that means that we are set apart for God through the blood of Christ. We are set apart for God, for his kingdom, and we are made holy by the Holy Spirit who indwells us. So it's a powerful word, isn't it? It's not a word that just belongs solely to the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, but it belongs to the whole church. In the book of Acts, they're called saints, holy ones. And if you look here, what is it they do at the end of verse 14? I just want to look at this for a moment here. They're called saints. And what do they do at the end of verse 14? They're known for something. What is it? They invoke the name of Jesus. What does that mean? It's an important word. We saw in Acts 2.21, Peter said that everyone who blank will be saved. What is it? Everyone who calls on the Lord, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Luke is wanting us to see here that saints, those who are set apart, filled with the Holy Spirit, what do they do? They call on the Lord. I just want to take a moment here, and we are going to end on time because we're going to have the youth come up and share stories. But this right here, this idea of saints calling on the name of the Lord is really, really important. We're going to see it through the rest of the book of Acts, but it really is the root of one of our beloved prayers that we pray called the Jesus Prayer here at All Saints. Those 10 words, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Let's say that again together. It's in three parts, so it's Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. So this is what the early church did. They called on the name of the Lord Jesus. And that is what the Jesus prayer is all about. They actually call it the invocation of the holy name of Jesus. So just like this text says, when you pray the Jesus prayer, you are invoking on, you are calling on the most powerful person in the universe, the resurrected Lord Jesus. And so this is something that we practice here at the church. And I would encourage you to write that down Put it in your phone, put it in your memory bank, those 10 words, because it can be with you all the time. There's not a situation that the Jesus prayer will not address. And I've told you, um, I'm pretty crazy about this prayer. It has changed my life. And it was uh, a little robotic or rote at first, but the people I was reading, they said, continue to practice it. Don't think of a week or, you know, 30 days with a Jesus prayer. No, they're talking months and years. Let this prayer sink down into your heart. Let it take root. Let it help you. Let it deliver you through the day. They invoked the holy name of Jesus then. They called out to him, and we do as well. 
So I am going to, uh, I'm actually just going to sit with this a minute, the Jesus prayer, invoking the name of Jesus. The first thing about it is the Jesus prayer is biblical, right? And I'm trying to give you something practical based on invoking the name of Jesus. It's biblical. We see people invoking the name of Jesus, calling on his name in the Gospels, in Luke 18. You remember Jesus was coming to town, and when he came to town, people wanted to get healed. And there was a blind man on the road there, and do you remember what he said? Did he say, yo, Jesus, look over here. It's not what he said. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he was calling out, and people were going, dude, this guy is noisy. But he was invoking the name of Jesus because he knew if Jesus came over to him that he would get his sight back. And so that man was doing a form of the Jesus prayer, right? And later on, Christians went to a passage like that and said, that is a rich prayer. So it's a biblical prayer. The second thing, I've already touched on this, the Jesus prayer, invoking his name, is practical. Immensely practical. Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he talks about prayer without ceasing. To pray, to pray through the day, to dwell in the presence of God, to be in contact with him, to remember him. Now, I don't think that he means pray 24-7 with words because we have to work, right? You've got to be occupied doing everything throughout the day. But a prayer like the Jesus prayer can help you pray in an unceasing way. And friends, I'm telling you, we've, we've had testimonies. I shared Scott Duncan, who's working with numbers all the time. He found that Jesus' prayer helped him pray through the day more than anything, to call on the name of the Lord. Even while he was busy at work, his heart was with the Lord. So it's practical. The last thing is it's transformative. As you call on his name, the most powerful name in all the universe, Philippians 2 says, you get transformed. He shows up, he saves you, he transforms you. So I wanted to dwell with that for a minute. There's so much in this text, isn't there? We could peel the layers back. I love this stuff. But at some point, we gotta move on. So third, third point here, and I'm not gonna be able to finish today, but that's all right. Look at verses 15 and 16, the third thing here. The Lord assures and guides Ananias. He tells him to go, and he tells him that Saul is his instrument to carry his name. And I think what I want to do, I want to put a pin in right here, and we will come back to this next week. So bring your Bible, bring your notes, and we will pick back up at Acts 9.15. So Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that there is so much in it continue to speak to us, continue to open up the book of Acts to us. And we do call on your name, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on us. Amen.